Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Infectious Disease Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Blanchett. Today's episode is the second in a four-part series on long-acting antiretroviral medications for both the treatment and prevention of HIV infection. The series features international panel discussions among Dr. Christina Mussini from Italy, Dr. Yvonne Galise from the United Kingdom, and Dr. Daryl Tan from Canada, each led by Dr. Baba Femi Taiwo from the United States. In this episode, our expert faculty discuss operational and clinic-level aspects of incorporating long-acting injectable antiretroviral therapy into the HIV treatment armamentarium. Topics include duration of injection appointments in real-world settings, managing additional patient volume and workload, particularly the key role of nurses, and preventing and addressing planned and unplanned misdoses. For more information about our guests and for additional online education on this topic, please visit the link in the show notes. So now, let's turn it over to Dr. Taiwo and the faculty panel. So after really talking to the patient and identifying the patients who want this medication and for whom it's eligible, you have to we have to deal as providers with the practical realities of operationalizing it, planning it, dealing with the impact on clinic flow, sometimes even on our overhead, et cetera, including how to handle missed doses. So let's spend some time getting into the details of this. And I'd like to start with uh, Christina by asking you, in your clinic, how long are the injection appointments taking? Uh, you know, we are treating the first uh, patients, so it takes about half an hour for each patient because uh, you cannot uh, take the medication out of the fridge before the patient is coming. So you have to wait for the drug to, you know, to hit a little. And then there is the administration and then the patient has to stay there 15 minutes. So globally, it's about 30 minutes. But I have to say that I've seen data uh, that uh, while you get more practice with this administration, with this delivery, it could take 23 minutes, but really it not makes a, a huge difference. We would be lying if we say that uh, this uh, kind of treatment does not uh, uh, impact uh, hardly on our routine uh, practice uh, in our ambulatory, because uh, I think that it's absolutely innovative, but you have to organize. It's not that the patient... Uh, can show up uh, and say, okay, I'm here. It's something that you have really to organize. Right. So you have to really plan for it. And and so let me uh, go to Yvonne and ask, in your clinic, are you a 30-minute uh, clinic or is it 23 minutes or is it taking longer? And also, how do you manage the patient volume, right? You have other patients that are there for other things. You have a limited staff. I assume you wouldn't be hiring new nurses just because of this. And anticipating the increase that we expect to see, how will you handle all of these issues? So we have set up special screens for nurses so that we can plan the activity. We are allowing 30 minutes, but the UK guidance that allowed long-acting injectables to come through to be able to be commissioned and disseminated throughout the NHS planned for 15-minute appointments. That's really quite interesting with no funding to go with it. I think we will, you know, we'll try and work towards the 23 minutes, but we're planning on 30 minutes as it is. 
we do have designated nurses to do this. The nurses have been trained how to do this. Our nurses are very good at giving IM injections, but as Christina has already said, it's really quite specific. One drug is in the fridge, one isn't. We need to make sure one goes into each buttock. And so nurses need to be properly trained. So we're doing that. I think then when you move on to the volume, that's where we actually do need to think about a business case for new nursing staff or at least additional nursing time for this. Because if as, as it becomes more popular and potentially a more acceptable way to treat people living with HIV uh, from a patient perspective, and as we get newer um, medications coming on board, we will need to plan for that. And actually, if you look at the number of patients in our clinic who are eligible potentially for this treatment, it's about half of our clinic. Now, not all of those patients want long-acting injectables, but if we need to think about who do we need to cater for, we need to start with patients who are absolutely ready and then it will build up. So I do think managing patient volume is something that is a moving feast at the moment. We're not entirely sure how that's going to go, but we do take stock of that really regularly um, with two weekly meetings just to see what's happening so that we can plan our services effectively and make sure that we can give the injections on time to the patients who are already starting and will then continue to need those injections on a regular basis. Yeah, those are excellent points. And of course, we hope that in time, there will be uh, options for care delivery outside of the uh, physician office. That's certainly not the case now, but perhaps it will be in the future. Perhaps we'll have other dosing forms that will make it a little bit uh, easier for the clinics. But we can all really agree with your comments. Let me go to, to Daryl and talk about missed doses. This is something that is so critical that Part of initiating this strategy is educating the patient initially about what to do with missed doses. Sometimes they are planned, sometimes they are unplanned. But let's just start with the planned missed doses. How, how do you talk to your patients about this and what's your strategy, Daryl? Yeah, I think, I think what, uh, what you mentioned earlier is really key to this, is that really having that conversation up front at the very beginning to make sure that if you're going to have open lines of communication with the patient, uh, when they start to plan for these missed doses, if they occur, to be able to respond in real time if they're anticipated. There are, of course, mechanisms to address the fact that you know people's lives get in the way and we're not all going to always be available uh, to administer every dose on time. That's why that was part of the development process during the regulatory trials, uh, that there is a window of seven days on either side. And it's important that people know that. They should also know that even if they take advantage of that window, for a given injection, that the subsequent injection should really move back to the original planned schedule. We're not constantly pushing the schedule in that sense. So that's one important piece. And then another important piece is to, again, recognize that there is the potential to bridge with oral dosing. This becomes really important, of course, if patients are going to be traveling. We do want to be able to plan this in advance as much as possible. But I would return to the very practical considerations of uh, making sure that, again, the propivirine component in particular is going to be something that the person will be able to, to take orally. The issues around that drug, it's a great drug, of course, but it does have requirements in terms of uh, consumption with a full meal. The, the high-fat meal it has been demonstrated to be asso associated with better concentrations. And then there are some contraindications, absolute and relative, with some fairly commonly used medications. So again, patients who use a proton pump inhibitor, uh, this would be actually contraindicated to use it together with the Even those 
who choose to use an H2 receptor antagonist. Instead, there are recommendations around spacing it uh, with the rotavirine 12 hours before or four hours after uh, the rotavirine is thought to be safe. So these are practical issues that will come up. Uh, and I think we should pay attention to that up front. If we're starting a patient on long-acting injectable, we see some of these other concomitant medications, or we see a diagnosis of gastroesophageal reflux disease on, on their chart, we should just think about these issues up front, make sure that the patient knows so that they can plan ahead uh, together with us. Excellent. I'm going to go to uh, Christina again and just talk about the, the other side of the coin, which is the unplanned missed doses. And this is the one that really gives us a, a hard burn, right? Because it's beginning to question whether this is a, a patient who will just sort of fall off the, the, the trail. And that will be uh, something that we, we don't want to see. What's your experience managing this scenario of unplanned missed doses? Have you, do you have examples or maybe all your patients have been perfect and you haven't had to deal with this? Uh, Christina. No, I have to say that uh, among the few patients that we are treating, uh, they have been in the trial, so they are very dedicated <laughs> to the schedule. So I didn't see this. I think that it's uh, uh, a great opportunity to have uh, different possibilities uh, uh, to restart treatment depending on the time of discontinuation and of missed dose. So I think that uh, when it's some plan, it would be important at first uh, to set up uh, a system that could uh, call in a way the, the patient in order to remind him or her that uh, uh, they have to come back before the interval is too long to uh, restart uh, the long acting. I don't know if you have, uh, you and uh, Daryl have uh, greater experience than uh, me and Yvonne have. So maybe you could tell us what uh, you are doing uh, with uh, unplanned mistos. Daryl, do you want to say one or two things? I don't have too much to say, unfortunately, because it's still relatively early days. We just haven't had enough patients uh, in that circumstance. Maybe that's a good thing, in fact, but of course we, we need to have the experience uh, over time accumulate. Maybe the only other thing I'll add to this part of the conversation is that uh, we should, of course, be thinking about uh, repeating viral load testing in this situation, right? So if someone uh, has fallen off their schedule for whatever reason, okay, uh, but you know this should really be part of the approach is, is to make sure we get that viral load done as soon as possible to document that they are remaining infectable. I think that, you know, at the beginning when there were the first data on long acting, we were thinking about treating patient maybe non-adherent because uh, this would help. What we see, for example, with PrEP, you know, there is a higher adherence, obviously, to the injectable. But um, I think that now we are facing exactly the opposite. Uh, since the schedule is very rigid and very, you know, uh, you have to plan perfectly your life, uh, as Yvonne was saying before, in order to respect all the appointments, uh, really the candidates for this treatment are the really adherent one, I think. I completely agree with Christina, because I think actually, as well as we're embarking on this, this is a new treatment modality. And actually, if we want this to work and to be available to other people living with HIV, it's really important that we get it right and that we keep a really close eye on what we're all doing. So I think feeding back in a forum like this is really important. 
And I think the regular, so we're planning regular texts a week and a day before just to remind people, because you might remember a week before and then something might happen. So I think that regular communication uh, until somebody is really established is really the key. Right. So what I'm hearing from the panel is a very strong intolerance for unplanned misdoses, that this strategy really relies on timely administration of the doses and that the appropriate patient, this should not be unplanned misvisits, should not be occurring, right? Because they can, there's a window during which they can get the injection on time. And if they're going to be out of that window, we certainly have to use the the bridging option and the patient missing it really exposes themselves to the risk of uh, biologic failure and perhaps uh, failure with uh, resistance. So thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you, Dr. Taiwo and faculty panel for sharing your insights with us. And thank you for listening. Look out for more episodes in this series at clinicaloptions.com forward slash HIV.